This is The Blunt Doctor Show. Early on a Saturday morning, we got about two hours before tip off between the Bucks and the Heat, and I was going to just review day one and go from there, but I decided I had enough time to put together a quick uh, round one preview episode, so that's what we're going to go ahead and do here. A couple of news things I want to talk about first, and then we're just going to dive into these series. We'll talk about what I expect here. Um, I posted my picks online, but we'll just, you know, real quick talk about each one. Probably more like a 30-minute episode this time. So, you know what? Let's just dive in and enjoy. Um, get to some of these news headlines real quick. First and most important is my man, Monty Williams, winning coach of the year. Um, this is the coaches poll, the one where they pull the coaches and ask them who did um, the, you know, the the best job of their peers. Um, this is not the, you know, Associated Press Coach of the Year award. That one is still to come. But nonetheless, Monty William being voted coach of the year by his peers is awesome. And it shows how good he is, how good he has been. He should be the AP coach of the year as well. He's been phenomenal all season. He has come in and, you know, last year he did a good job establishing the hardworking culture. This year he did a good job establishing winning. And obviously Chris Paul has a lot to do with that. Chris Paul has a ton to do with that. Um, but, you know, his relationship with Chris Paul is part of why that went so well, because of their existing relationship, because of his ability to coach Chris and because of his ability to let Chris coach and let Chris coach on the floor and let him do his thing. All of those things worked because of how good Monty Williams was with this roster, of how well he was able to integrate everything that Chris Paul wanted to do in with everything that the Suns do, when quite frankly, the Suns don't did not coming into this year play the way that Chris Paul wants to play at all. The Suns were a defense transition scoring team that basically relied on Devin Booker to cook in the half court. And that's not a championship formula, obviously. And the Suns knew that. And so they said, okay, we're going to go out and get an all pro who's going to change the way we play, but he's going to allow us to take ourselves to a next level. That's exactly what has happened. And you have to look at the coach and look at the successful blend of, you know, his lineups drive me a little nutty sometimes. His rotations make me a little crazy. But you know what? That's just the mad scientist doing his job. And I'm so happy for Monty Williams. He deserves coach of the year. And he better win AP coach of the year as well because he's simply been the best coach in the league. I know that Tom Thibodeau did a great job, you know, good for Tibbs. He did phenomenally, but let's just be honest, getting the number two in the Western Conference with a team that was not in the playoffs last year is infinitely more impressive than sneaking into the playoffs in a weak Eastern Conference. And I know they got the fourth seed, but the fourth seed is still not the two seed, and it sure as hell is not the two seed in the West. Monty Williams deserves coach of the year. He's already got one of them. He deserves the other one. The other two news items are not technically from the NBA but they are NBA-related. Scoot Williams chooses to forego his senior year of high school and sign a million-dollar contract with the G League Ignite team. So we are finally seeing a young man say, hey, I'm 17 years old, and I'm going to take a job being paid for my skills. And he is not going to waste his time in school anymore. And he's just going to go straight to being a professional basketball player, as he should be allowed to do, just like anyone should be allowed to do, especially when your track, your path is the NBA. There is no reason for a college to make a bunch of money off of you. I think this is phenomenal. I love that the NBA has opened this path. It's going to be hard for this kid. You know, the G League Ignite team plays... You know, they play against some grown-ass men sometimes in those G League games. And, you know, sometimes the younger kids can get 
roughed up a little bit. You know, you get a little bit exposed when you're that young playing against professionals who've been in the game for years. But there's no way that this is a bad thing. If you can go play professional baseball when you're this young, why can't you go play professional basketball? We literally want the G League to be the place where guys develop. We want the G League to matter. We want to have minor league basketball actually matter. You know, the thing is, is that back when it was the D League, no one even watched. Then they turned it to the G League and still no one even watched. But this G League Ignite team, people have paid attention to that. People are way more willing to watch summer league games than they are to actually watch these games, the G League games. And so the fact that now we're adding young stars to the G League, just like you, when you go see a minor league baseball game, you're seeing the stars of tomorrow for your team, right? Well, that's exactly what this is. We need to be able to get the best players out of the college basketball system where they are taken advantage of and into these minor leagues. And in addition to um, Scott Scoot Williams choosing the uh, G League Ignite, Matt and Ryan Bowley both chose to go to the Overtime Elite League, which is the league that I mentioned a few episodes ago, which again is just basically training kids from the NBA instead of putting them through college where you're not being trained from the NBA and you are in fact, you know, being taken advantage of, money is being made, you're not getting a piece of it. Both of these leagues are going to pay these kids. And this is how it should be. These kids should be able to make money from their talent. Not colleges, not coaches, not administrators. These kids should be able to make money from their talent. And now they have professional leagues that agree. And, you know, I remember when Brandon Jennings went to Europe um, and he, I believe, was committed to Arizona and he, you know, his academics were great. So he, you know, went to Europe instead. And everyone was like, oh, this is going to set a bad trend, blah, blah, blah. Well, not a lot of guys did that. A few others did, but not really. This is going to set the trend. But it's not a bad trend. This is a great trend. These guys are getting paid for their skills. They are not being taken of... Uh, advantage of by college. They're going through classes in these programs that help them deal with professional basketball life. And they're being paid for, you know, they're again, the money is not being made off of them. They're making money for their skills and they're being trained to go to the place where they're going to go. College doesn't train you for the NBA. The overtime elite league and the G League Ignite team, that's literally what they're trying to do is train these kids in what NBA life is going to be like. And it's the best way to handle this and I love it, and I'm thrilled to see that it's taking off, and I hope that this eventually destroys college sports. Fuck college sports. I, like, I root for my teams, but we if college sports are going to exist, they have to change the way they are existing, okay? If we're going to pay players, then I'll love college sports again. But until then, you're not making money off these kids with my sign-off. Fuck that shit. Let's just go ahead now and dive into the series. Let's just go ahead and get a quick little thought on each one. And we'll just go from there. Um, I made the picks on my Twitter. So I'm just going to go ahead and go in the order that I made these. Um, and we'll just knock them out. So I've got Jazz over Grizzlies in five. The Grizzlies are a great story. Um, they did a phenomenal job getting through the play-in tournament and getting in. They absolutely did everything right against the Warriors last night. It was just a fun game. They came out swinging. And, you know, several times it looked like the Warriors were just going to overtake them and lap them, and it just never happened. And it was just overall really awesome. Um, but that's a lot different than playing the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell is rested. Rudy Gobert is in there. Mike Conley's rested. You've got Bogdan Bogdanovich. You've got Joe Ingles. Jordan Clarkson. I mean, the Jazz are a really, really, really good team. And, you know, the Warriors were not going to be a real match for them. 
and the Grizzlies aren't either. Not now. And that's no disrespect to the Grizzlies, just this is not their time. They are all young. And the Jazz have been just playing together for years and grinding it out. And they've lost so many first-round series. Those series where the Jazz got taken out by the Rockets, like 4-1, that's what this is going to be. There's going to be one game where Ja goes supernova and wins the game. And, you know, maybe it'll be 1-1 and everyone's like, oh, the Grizzlies are in it. But I think this is just a gentleman sweep. I really think that Utah is ready, is prepared. They've been playing, you know, at the top of the league basically all year. Um, I'm I'm hard-pressed to see a way that this young Grizzlies team right now is going to be able to beat the Jazz four out of seven times. Again, I don't even see them winning two games in this series. And that's no disrespect to the Grizzlies. What they've done this year is awesome. Surviving, you know, COVID protocol problems and injuries that everyone else did too. But, you know, they survived it and they got through the play-in tournament and they earned their right to be here. And I love the play-in tournament and I'm thrilled at how this turned out. But, you know, the Grizzlies are just not ready. And... The the Jazz's defense is just, it's going to be too much for them. And Rudy Gobert is, you know, so much at the rim, he's going to be able to, um, it's it's just going to be tough for Ja to live at the rim with Rudy Gobert there, as good as he is. And, you know, his shooting is problematic. He can make, you know, clutch shots here and there, but the Jazz can bomb away from three. And the Grizzlies are just not ready for this series. And, you know, the Jazz are ready. So it's going to be, again, 4-1. Suns over Lakers in seven. We all know how I feel about this series, but I'll just break this down to a couple of things for me. Number one, the the backcourt. I mean, the Suns' backcourt is infinitely better than the Lakers' backcourt. It really doesn't matter. There's no comparison there. The, the Suns' backcourt is simply better than the Lakers' backcourt. If I guess if you consider LeBron James the point guard, then maybe not. But, you know, the Lakers really play him more as a frontcourt player, and that is one of the reasons that they acquired Schroeder was so that they could do that. Um, so in that matchup, the Suns are going to cook the Lakers. Now, of course, in the frontcourt, LeBron and AD are going to cook the Suns. So... It just is going to come down to the sun scoring because here's the thing. We know that the Lakers defense is phenomenal and we know that the Lakers offense is not great, gets stuck in the mud sometimes, but they still have LeBron and AD. So it's like we know what they can do, but it essentially boils down to for the Suns, if you make your threes, if you bag your open shots and keep your offense rolling, you're going to score enough points to make the Lakers sweat because the Lakers don't have a good offense. It's just the truth. No matter how good LeBron and AD are together, they cannot run like 100 pick and rolls a game. Maybe they could. Maybe they could with complete success, but that's not not how the game goes. And the simple fact of the matter is that the Lakers offense sometimes just grinds to a halt and they've got nothing going on. And if the Suns are able to score and just keep the ball moving, like I'll give – I couldn't even listen to the Zach Lowe, David Thorpe podcast yesterday – but, you know, the one thing they were saying about the Suns is that if the Suns keep the ball moving and make their threes, that's the opportunity that they have to win. And I agree with that completely. That is, it is completely true in my opinion. It is on the offense. We would normally say defense, defense wins championships. How are you going to defend LeBron? Blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. You can't defend LeBron and AD. There, there's no defending them. There's no stopping them. There's not even really slowing them down. All there is is making their lives just a little bit harder. All you can do is make them work just a little bit harder and make them shoot like 10% less. That's the margin. That's literally how close these things are. But the simple fact of the matter is, is if the Suns are built to do that, I don't care what anyone says about, well, the Lakers are huge, blah, blah, blah. Look at the switchable defenders 
that the Suns have. Are they perfect? No. But they're the only team that can throw like four switchable wings out there. And so literally, we can always have two switchable good defenders on the court at all times, at all fucking times for 48 minutes a game. That shit matters. And again, I know that the Lakers are still going to get their points because it's LeBron and AD, and I know that they're still going to play great defense because they were the number one defense. I get that. But the simple fact of the matter is, if the Suns score 134 times, the Lakers literally can't do that. Maybe they can do it once or something, but they simply, they're not equipped to score. Like, it's not easy for them like people think it is. LeBron and AD are not 100%. Schroeder's in 100% maybe. This isn't like some simple thing. If the Suns make their threes, they really have a chance to win this series. And everyone can call me crazy and think I'm nuts and blah, blah, blah. I think they will win. I think that if this was the Western Conference Finals and LeBron and AD were 100% healthy, I would be very, very terrified of that series. I would still pick the Suns to win because I truly believe in this team. But I would be like, oh, shit, man, we're really in for it right now. And it's not that we're not in for it. It's going to be a tough series. It's LeBron and fucking AD, okay? It's going to be a tough series. But if they're not healthy, that's the time to play them. Just to be completely honest, it's just, that's what it is. Everyone who's like worried about playing the Lakers right now, dude, they're not 100%. And I know that we all want to beat everyone at their top, blah, blah, blah. Everyone deals with injuries. That's literally part of it. The Lakers, not only... Do they have, you know, some health issues, but they're just not, they haven't played a lot together right now. Yes, they played the last few games. Yes, it went well, but it took a miracle triple against a Warriors team that just lost to the Grizzlies to get the Lakers the seventh seed. So just truthfully, it's uh, anyone who thinks that the Lakers are going to be a buzzsaw and just roll through the suns. You've got no fucking idea what you're talking about. That's not what's about to happen. This is going to be a really good series that, in my opinion, comes down to can the suns make their shots? Because if the ball is zipping around and you're making your open your triples, you're good. Make your threes. I, I, I know it sounds incredibly basic, but seriously, this series might come down to that. The Clippers over the Mavs in six. I badly wanted to pick the Mavs because it would be incredibly fun for the Clippers to lose in the first round. Um, that would be... That would be truly something special and truly something to behold. But as well as the Mavs have played at times, they're they're inconsistent. They're inconsistent as hell. Luka Doncic has always been inconsistent. Sometimes he's a good shooter. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes they have offense when Luka sits. Sometimes they don't. You know, it's just I I simply don't believe that this Mavs team right now is like built to win in the playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tim Hardaway and Josh Richardson go into some other mode. Um, Tim Hardaway has been great in the regular season. I just you know it's. I just don't see it. I mean, the Clippers are an incredibly good shooting team. We know how good Kawhi and Paul George are. I know that Paul George was terrible in last year's playoffs, but uh, you're asking me to pick an inconsistent Mavs team over a team that has two players who are better than the Mavs' best player. Yes, Paul George is better than Luka Doncic. I said that. Um, is he better than him all the time? No. But, like, Paul George actually has a history of – you know, doing things. I, I'm, I'm, I make fun of Paul George all the time, but the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals, where he played toe to toe with LeBron, is certainly better than anything Luca has ever done in the playoffs. Even though he hit an incredible game winner last year, Luca has really done nothing in his career except win a lot of regular season games and then lose an exciting playoff series. Like that's cool, but Paul George does actually have more credentials than that, and we know what Kawhi Leonard has done. He's been a Finals MVP for two different teams. So I'm simply not there yet with the Mavs, and I'm just going to take the Clippers. I think again, the Clips will probably get a couple of games, but um, 
or the Mavs will get a couple games, excuse me, but I'm taking Clippers over Mavs in six. Nuggets over Blazers in five. I know that everyone is on the Blazers right now and they are coming up and blah, 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 blah. I, you're at Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. The Nuggets are a much bigger team. Um, I know that the, the Blazers have been on fire lately and I know that it's Dame time and everything, but I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I'm not, I, I, the Nuggets are a bigger team. They are built in a way that is going to fuck up what the Blazers want to do. I don't know how well the Nuggets are going to be able to defend Dame. That could be a problem. Um, just given some of the injuries that they have. Um, in the, in the backcourt, but, um, I'm still, I'm not picking against Jokic right now. Not when he and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon have, you know, really molded together well and, and figured things out. And I mean, just again, quite honestly, the Nuggets are just bigger than the Blazers. And I just think that's going to be a huge problem. And I don't think the Blazers are going to put up much of a fight. So give me Nuggets over Blazers in five. That one could go to six. I could see that one going to six, but I picked five. So we're rolling with it. As much as it hurts me to do so, um, and as much as Smarfwater may be mad at me for doing so, I'm taking the Nets over Celtics in six, moving over to the Eastern Conference. I mean, if Jalen Brown was still there, this would be a more interesting series because Boston would then have the pieces to defend the Nets. And this would be something I would really think about, even given how Boston struggled. But, you know, I, I just, it's, I'm hard pressed to believe that Jason Tatum and Evan Fournier can provide enough offense, you know, and Kemba Walker. I, I don't know. Um, I just don't see it. It's, you know, I would love for the Celtics to beat the Nets. That would be funny as hell. But I, I just think they don't have their, you know, their guys didn't play enough together this year. They don't have their second best player who is not only their second best offensive player, but maybe their best defensive player. Um, and it's just going to be really tough. If you had Jalen Brown out there with Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum, that, you know, then you've got, a, a, you know, pretty much an elite defender for all three of the Nets guys. And it's just a, it's a game changer. And the fact that they don't have that, well, you can defend two of them. Um, you know, maybe if Kyrie sits out large chunks of the series or something, I, I don't know. I just, I think that the Celtics will get a couple games, but we know the Nets are, I mean, it's just a hellacious thing to keep up with. And right now, I don't see a way that the Celtics will beat them. So I'm taking Nets over Celtics in six. The 76ers over the Wizards in six. I know that this is going to be something that some people will think is dumb, that I think that the Wizards are going to get a couple of games against the Sixers. But I just think that they're built in a way that will cause the Sixers a little bit of problems. Plus, like Russell Westbrook is going to get so amped up going at Ben Simmons all the time that I just I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this I, I still expect the 76ers to proceed. And of all the places that I could be wrong, this could be one of the biggest one. This could be a sweep. But I, I do feel like the play in has at least you know, we're, we've got the teams that are most playoff ready because, you know, the Wizards had to, you know, get here. Um, and having to get here, you know, having to earn your way in at least shows that you're better than some of those other teams on the bubble, maybe because you were more prepared for this situation. And, you know, I could just see a situation where, you know, Westbrook has a triple double and Beal scores 40 and, you know, the Wizards win that game and maybe another night a similar thing. So I can see the Wizards stealing two games here. I don't think there's any chance of a, an upset here. Um, and again, this could totally go the other way and the Sixers just completely wax the Wizards because, you know, they have literally no 
nobody who can slow down Joel Embiid. But ultimately, I still think it's a fun series. I don't think we're going to have any really bad series. Even the series that are like five game series, I think we'll have multiple close games. I think this is going to be a really good playoffs. I think this is going to be something that we'll remember. And I think that the play in has something to do with that because you've got teams that were, you know, more prepared at a big moment. And that's kind of what the playoffs are. The Bucks over the Heat in five. Um, <laughs> I've been riding the Bucks for years now. I bet on them last year when they were down 0-1 against the Heat. I know that everyone, you know, this is a ridiculous thing, and everyone's like, oh my God, the Heat are gonna do it again. Look, if 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 the Bucks lose to Miami in the first round, like the the level of heads that will roll can't even be counted. So I just don't I think the Bucks know. And I think that there's no way that this isn't happening again. It's just my opinion. Um, Miami doesn't have Jay Crowder anymore. Uh, Tyler Hero definitely came back to earth this season. Dragic is a year older. Uh, you know, Jimmy and Bam are still Jimmy and Bam, and that is a huge advantage for Miami to have, you know, the better center. Um, but, you know, Drew Holiday is better than anyone in the Miami Heat backcourt right now. Um and I, I do, you know, I people forget how Chris Middleton saved the only win that, you know, the Bucks had in that series last year by just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot. And, you know, you got to give those three uh, a chance in the playoffs to operate as a big three and get things done. And I think that they will. And I just think this series will be kind of the inverse of last year where every game is kind of close and then the Bucks pull it out at the end. The Heat will get one. But like I said, I think it'll be a Bucks uh, for one series. And I think, you know, I just... I just can't picture a scenario in which in which the Bucks lose this series because this isn't the same Miami team from last year. You know, Miami was built for the bubble. Like mentally, they were tough. They were designed. They do like their training camps in a similar way to the bubble. So like it was easy for them to adapt. And I think that had a lot to do with the success that they had, especially with the young guys. Like the way that Tyler Hero played in the playoffs really is indicative of a kid playing in a gym without 16,000 enemy fans screaming at him. And I think that that had a lot to do with it. And I know Know that there were not, um, you know, nearly as many fans this year, but it's still a much bigger arena. It's a different experience. You know, those bubble arenas were, I mean, it was just dudes playing in a gym. And I actually think it resulted in some phenomenal basketball because of, you know, the fewer distractions that fans provide. But that doesn't mean that it's necessar necessarily a great representative sample of what a player will do next season outside the bubble. And Tyler Hero is like example 1A of that. So, if we're just expecting that it's going to be playoff Miami from last year. And I, I'm guilty of that, right? Because I came into the season picking Miami to make the Eastern Conference finals, or actually to make the NBA finals, to win the Eastern Conference. So I was way off and I overestimated what the bubble actually meant in terms of their young players' development. So that's on me. I'm sitting here as one of the people who was fooled and was wrong about that. And I'm sitting here now telling you I'm not choosing that team at this point because I don't think that that run is representative of what they can do. And also, just to be completely honest, having seen how well Jay Crowder plays in Phoenix and how much he helps you know, not that I didn't watch him before, but man, that's a huge piece to be missing on offense and on defense. And so not having that dude around hurts, not having, you know, the, the way the bubble plays works against you. Like a lot of those things just, they hurt. And so, um, I, as much as Miami got worse, Milwaukee got better. And the series was incredibly close last year. 
And now we're in a situation that does not favor Miami because we're not just in a bubble anymore. And so I'm just taking Milwaukee. That's how I feel. And then the last one, this one was kind of a tough one because it's Knicks versus Hawks. And, you know, they're two fairly evenly matched teams. You've got, you know, good coaches. Um, You know, they're constructed a little differently, how they play, who they go through. But I took the Knicks in seven games. And, I mean, this is an interesting one because, honestly, this series could go either way. Like, this series this series might be the most entertaining of all the series, truthfully, because um, it's just going to be back and forth. I mean, you think about the Knicks and their construction. Everything goes through Julius Randle, um, you know, or in when, you know, Randle is sitting, it's more R.J. Barrett and Derrick Rose. How good has Derrick Rose been since coming back to play for Thibs again? Like, um it's really interesting to watch the Knicks play. There's a lot of ISO ball. They really have their guys who run things. And then they do a lot of nice, you know, cutting and moving off of that to, you know, I mean, Reggie Bullock is bagging triples all over the place. So, you know, what the Knicks do is so different than from what the Hawks do, where, you know, everything flows through Trey Young and, um, it's been more, it's been more emotional oriented. They have, you know, tried to work Trey Young off ball more. They've tried to, you know, make, um, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, fit in well. I think I said Bogdan Bogdanovich earlier when I was talking about the Utah Jazz. That's my bad. Bohan Bogdanovich on the Utah Jazz, Bogdan Bogdanovich on the Hawks. It's an early morning. It's an early Saturday here, folks. You're going to have to forgive me for that one. Someone heard it and was like, oh, you got their name wrong. And they were like saying it to themselves. And now I've self-corrected. Anyway, the point is with the addition of some of the guys Atlanta brought in, you know, they've tried to diversify more. But we all know, like, especially when the game's on the line, it's going to be Trey Young versus Julius Randle. And that's going to be fucking great. Like, it's going to be really fun to watch. How do the Knicks defend Trey Young? Are they able to just take him out because he's so small? And the Knicks, you know, they've got some big guards. They've got some big guys. Um, or does, you know, it does Atlanta's, you know, their offense, the way that they've played since, you know, um, Nate McMillan took over, where they've been, again, there have been a lot more motion concepts and there's been, it's been a more wide open game for them. They've been much better also, truthfully. Um, it's just going to be really fun to watch. Um, you know, the Nate McMillan thing, I was really hard on the Hawks for firing Lord Pierce because I felt like he didn't get to coach the team when they were completely healthy and he didn't get a legitimate chance. But, you know, that that's, that's done and gone. And Nate McMillan has done a great job, regardless of whether it was um, – you know, the players getting healthy or whether it was just his coaching style. The Hawks were like 14 and 20, I think, when Lloyd Pierce was fired. And now they're in the playoffs. So uh, as a five seed. So I think that, you know, no matter what Nate McMillan being hired, there has to be looked at a win as a win. Um, I, again, the situation that precipitated or pre the situation that created it, whatever was ugly, but um, nonetheless, it's been good for the Hawks. But overall, um, I think that Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett are going to be really key in this series because obviously Randle is the focal point of, of the Knicks offense. But how how do you how do you defend that? Like if the Hawks just throw everything at Julius Randle and he's passing out of doubles, does he make effective passes out of those doubles? Um, are they going to play iso ball and do play man-to-man defense are they going to switch everything are they going to you know try to play any zone concepts like what i just i feel like this could be a series where coaches are throwing the kitchen sink at each other because they want to fuck with what the other team does um you've got two good coaches here and i think there'll be a lot of 
schematic stuff. I just think this is going to be a fun series because I don't think, I think a lot of the games will be close. I think, you know, again, it's, it'll be 1-1, one, 2-2. One, two, two. You know, I'm expecting a lot, but we know how good Tibbs is as a coach. We know how good McMillan is. We know how tough both these teams are. This is a coin flip series. Um, in my opinion, I like the Knicks. I've watched more Knicks this year than Hawks, so, you know, take that for what you will. You might be sitting here going, ha, you haven't watched any Hawks, and we're going to run this side action, and you've got no idea, and, and maybe you're right. Um, I just, at this point, I like relying on Julius Randle more than I like relying on Trey Young. I can't believe I'm saying that, Like, but the year that Julius Randle has had cannot be denied. The leap that the man has made cannot be denied. He's playing at a level that is incredible, and, you know, playing really well as they approach the playoffs gelling at the right time so are the hawks but i just this knicks thing is just fucking interesting to me and maybe it's me just wanting it but i really think that that team is at least going to the second round um and so i i'm taking the Knicks again in seven this is going to be a fun series back and forth and maybe what it comes down to is if the knicks play iso ball and they just let Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett play ISO. And the Hawks do a better job of mixing it up. Okay, we're going to run these things through Bogdan. We're going to run these sets through Trey. We're going to run these sets for uh, you know John Collins, blah, blah, etc. And they do more. Uh, they do more to get their offense some diversity. Then maybe that will just produce a Hawks win. Because, um, you know, again, ISO ball sometimes works in the playoffs. Sometimes it doesn't. The Knicks have played a lot of it all year. So they're going to be well versed in it i think again i think atlanta you're trying to double julius randall when he's out on the perimeter force him to pass out of double teams and you know just make the knicks pass more than they want to i think that's what you want to do if you're atlanta and if you're the knicks um well stop trey young just gobble him up with your biggest defenders and see how many turnovers you can force that's that's me and that's that's enough i think you know um I just wanted to get in here and talk about these series. It's going to be fun. I love the playoffs. We all love the playoffs. I think this is going to be a really exciting series. Out of the East, I'm going to pick the 76ers. Out of the West, I'm going to pick the Suns. And in Game 7, Devin Booker will hit a triple in Ben Simmons' face to win the NBA Finals for Phoenix. That is my pre-playoffs prediction. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Do not forget to like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, yell at them, or something. Let's go enjoy this basketball weekend.